The presenting sponsor of EcoCheck with the IDM is RPG Research. RPG Research is a volunteer-run, nonprofit 501c3 research and human services charitable organization providing a public research repository and studies the effects of all role-playing game formats, accessibility, and inclusiveness considerations for role-playing gamers, and the potential for RPGs to help various populations achieve their educational, recreational, or therapeutic goals. The founder of RPG Research is Hawk Robinson, and he has been wonderfully supportive of my creative efforts over the years, and previously appeared as a guest on EgoCheck on, back in January 2017 on Episode 7. So go back in time and check out our conversation about all the great work he's doing. Donations to RPG Research directly support research and community programs to help people improve lives. And more information for these programs can be found at rpgresearch.com donate. Be on the lookout for RPG Research as they are kicking off an awareness and fundraising tour September through October this year throughout the Western United States. Details for this tour can be found at rpgtour.com. Welcome to another episode of Ego Check with the IDM. I'm your host, Michael Mallon, and this week I am very happy to welcome Eric Roth onto the show. Hello. Yes, welcome. So Eric is maybe not someone that you are familiar with, and I was not either. I was actually introduced to Eric and his story by my wife, Emily. She was watching one of our local news stations in Minneapolis. And there was a about a three-minute video package that featured Eric at Origins Game Fair. And I watched the video and just was immediately kind of struck and inspired by his story and background. And I reached out to the people who produced the video, and they put me in contact with Eric. And Eric was kind enough to, to join me here on the pod. And I'm really, really excited that all you listening get a chance to meet him as well. So, Eric, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me on. So I'm going to post a link to the Heart Threads video on my Twitter so people can check that out. But for folks who maybe haven't seen that or just listening to this for the first time, I guess tell us a little bit about yourself. I guess we're here for D&D, right? So I started actually roughly about 18 years ago when the uh, OSU campus did their uh, D&D college tour. And I started with the Orange Box back in third edition. And I just got hooked. Uh, my dad was always huge into like Conan and Lord of the Rings and fantasy. So yeah, I think this was something I would have gotten to eventually. But thanks to going out there and trying it out, it just got me hooked even sooner. And About it, how old were you at that point? Well, let's see here. I would say it was about 18 years ago. I would say it was probably about 14. Okay. So I was about 14 years old, um, really never went to a game store up until then, never really had any contact with the gaming community, uh, mostly because here in Pickerington, we never really had a gaming community. It was mostly either you were into uh, football or basketball, or you kind of were on your own to form your own little groups. And so getting into D&D actually got me connected with people who I would never would have met probably any other way. And then about a year or so later, um, there was a store that opened up in town called The Armory. I became really good friends with the owner, and my gaming career and uh, just social life in general took off. Um, that's not to say I was awkward in the sense that I didn't make any friends. It's just it became easier when I had such a group of people who had the same interests and we could talk and not feel like as I'm boring somebody without, oh, I rolled a natural 20 and I did double damage and all that stuff it's, and see the eyes kind of glaze over. Sure. It's like, no, now I was amongst people who knew I was talking about and had their own stories to tell. So it was always nice. Yeah, and that's was kind of the premise of the of the video I saw because you talk pretty openly. It's you being interviewed and also I think sitting with your, your dad yes. talking about having a disability, having some physical limitations, not being able to get into sports, and how tabletop games like Dungeons & Dragons, like Magic, were 
an on-ramp for some social skills and some support building. So if you'd be willing, could you kind of share that journey with us? So I'm, I'm born with a disability called orthogryposis multiplex congenita, which simply means I have uh, my, my joints and my arms and my hands and my legs weren't fully developed. Uh, it gives me limited range in my legs, so I can walk, but not for very long distances. Um, I do use a wheelchair when I do like conventions and stuff, and it's giving me limited mo- uh, dexterity with my hands. So I can pick up and roll dice, but I can't necessarily like point at somebody or do like hand uh, sign language or anything like that. And it kind of always made me feel a little awkward because I I kind of walked weird, my hand, arms were always kind of weirdly shaped, so I never really got in with like dealing with people a lot, and the people, for people I did were always accepting, they always were able to look beyond it, but it wasn't until I got into the gaming community and started playing games like D&D in particular, where my disability was a non-factor, because everybody is the same, and what I mean by same is everybody's a character, everyone's playing somebody and it didn't matter who you are in real life necessarily this is you're not i'm not eric roth i am Feynor, the half-orc druid or something like that <laughs> sure. I, I am this person who i can't be in real life for obvious reasons and it allowed me to essentially escape in a very healthy way and not only just escape on my own but escape with other people and have fun have adventures and just generally just be somebody that i can't be for a short while so it was always an escape that i was able to share with others and it always made me feel welcome i never felt alienated just because i looked differently or because i couldn't this get something off a high shelf. I had to ask for help. I never felt awkward asking people as well because of this. Yeah, and you know, I've I've, I've had some conversations with uh, some other people on tw- on Twitter and former guests on this uh, podcast talking yeah. about just representation in in gaming, games like Dungeons and Dragons, video games, and things like that, and that historically. Games have been for tabletop games like Dungeons and Dragons, straight white males. And I think that has changed over time. And I think your story tends to show that gaming can be really a very welcoming, to use your word, um, environment for folks. And it sounds like it's really allowed you to make connections and enjoy yourself and let some of that guard down. Exactly, and we and we should not forget that the founder of D and I know this is about me, but I should bring this up. The founder of D and D created it to be inclusive, and he's created foundations for people like me to be able to get into the gaming hobby and be able to enjoy it. And I think they've done great work. So there, there should be something said for Gary Gygax because of that. And I and I will say, you do you run into people who are not welcoming? Yes, but you can run that in any, any community. And I think the gaming community as a whole has large part, in large part been very welcoming of uh, people with disabilities, different genders, ethnicities. Because at the end of the day, when you're sitting around the table, you're not you're, – you're somebody else. So everybody is somebody different. Everybody is unique in their own way. Every character is different. And that's the thing is you don't see the person sitting across from you. You see their characters. Maybe before connecting with D&D and trying that about 18 years ago, what what were some of your efforts to, to build those relationships with people or to get involved in activities? How did that go for you? It actually worked very well. As I said, I got very fortunate that shortly after um, I played at the campus, a store opened up, and the owner of the store, a man by the name of Bruce Langdon, he was very welcoming. He he was my – I would say he was basically my entry into the gaming community as a whole because it was through him and being at a store that had tables that you can just come in and play or just even come in and hang out and talk about gaming. It allowed me just to interact and make friends and make connections that 
in all honesty, I still have to this day. I've known, I met people in high school that honestly I don't see anymore, but the people I've met at the armory, I still know and I still talk to. And it's even allowed me to connect with people in my own time at college. I've met other gamers who I've introduced to like the armory and stuff like that. And through them, I've still had connections with them even to this day. So it, it's been a very large part of helping build my social skills and my confidence. Would you be willing to talk a little bit more about that? Because I know th- there's actually some therapists that I communicate with uh, through social media that are trying to use D&D or actually are using D&D for youth to teach social skills and other uh, types of communication abilities. So how yeah. exactly has the game helped you with both confidence and with the social skills building? Well, with confidence, it's the fact it's being able to when you come when you pres- when you present a situation and going okay, what call do I make? Do I go running headlong into the, the trap, or do I want to like sneak by? Or it it helps when you the fact that you're the one making those decisions, and those decisions have an effect. So you got to be very confident with, in what you do. You can't stop. You can't ponder necessarily because you may not have time the game may put you on a timer and so being able to make those decisions on the fly i think really helps out and also dealing with people with other players yeah, who are supportive yeah. okay um and that also helps with social skills because one of the big things people uh need to understand with dnd is as much as it is going into the dungeon killing the monsters and getting the treasure well that's all in good and fun it's also dealing with the npcs and going, okay, what's the problem? And then figure out how to resolve it. And say with violence. Maybe you need to figure out, okay, I need to talk to these people. And then from person to person, sitting across from another player, sitting side by side, you need to be able to interact with the other players because you can't do what you can't do the quest on your own. You need other players, and you need to be able to uh, communicate and develop a relationship to know, okay, I know how you're going to act. I know how you're going to act because we've been around long enough. We know what we need to do, and you develop that over time. So D&D is really great because it helps you now being able to read people, being able to go, okay, I know how this person thinks, so I know how to talk to them. Reading the social cues, reading the the facial expressions, stuff like that. It's it's really hard to explain without act. I mean, you know how it is. See, it's sure. the table. Well, and it, I think it's really interesting. And one of the things yeah. that I, I really find fascinating about Dungeons and Dragons and games like it is there's so many interrelationships going on around a table. So even if you have a table of just one dungeon master and three players, there's each player's relationship with the other person at the table. Right. Plus there's the relationship that person has with their character, the relationship that character has with the other characters around the table. So it gets exponentially more complicated. And the nice thing about that is I think as someone who, you know, we haven't gotten into your childhood at all, but it sounds like maybe there is some isolation I know. I, I grew up with some health issues, and that was a little bit of a factor. But just having that ability at a, at a table to practice all these different types of interactions. And I think it goes hand-in-hand hand also with confidence building. Because the first time you get together, usually it's with a group of strangers. Mm-hmm. So there's always that awkward phase of, okay, what do I say? What do I do? And as you are getting comfortable with them, you are able then to crack jokes or make comments that you wouldn't make with anybody else. And so not only does it help develop your social skills, but it also helps develop your confidence, at least with those people. And then you can take those skills to outside of gaming, because then once you get comfortable being around people you're not, you don't know, you can then take that and go, okay, now I can interact with other people more easily. And as you said, we haven't really talked about my childhood growing up. Um, I really didn't have a lot of friends. I wasn't necessarily isolated, but it was one of those, it was harder for me because I couldn't relate with 
Oh, we're going to go play. So we're going to go shoot hoops. Okay, I can't do that. I'm the guy sitting in the si- on the sidelines watching everybody have fun. Mm-hmm. Or when they talk about um, sports statistics, it's just something that I never really got into. And so it just kind of was one of those. I had a few friends, but we really never had a interest further than maybe talking about the newest video game console. And while video games are all good and fun, I actually prefer playing, when I go to tabletop, like RPGs, I actually prefer playing with people at a table. I prefer seeing them face-to-face and talking to them, interacting with them. I To me, I think MMOs kind of miss that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to get into my soapbox there about that yeah. at all. But, we'll, we'll save um, that for another episode. <laughs> exactly. No, but I, but I think there's, there's a certain interaction and humanness to tabletop that I, it has helped me grow and has helped me develop friendships and relationships and has just made me a more outgoing person. Um, I was always, when dealing with other people, very kind of quiet. And once I knew you... I was more outgoing, I was more talkative, because then I knew how you reacted to what I said. Mm-hmm. Sure. Too. So it made it easier for me to be able to interact with people. Well, and I think the experience of a child, and I, I speak for myself here, I, I, I was born with a significant heart condition and couldn't really do vigorous exercise, so gym class yeah. in school was always something that was a bit stressful because I couldn't run and couldn't really keep up with everybody else, so I always felt isolated and a bit of the other. You know, like folks are like, well, why aren't you doing X, Y, and Z? And I had to explain myself. And then people kind of figured out, like, my background and story, but it was always something that created a little bit of anxiety for me. And I think sports, even something as simple as playing kickball at recess, you learn how to cooperate, and you learn sort of boundaries of behavior. Like if I act... In this way, then people will like me. But if I act in this other way, people won't like me. And you start putting those things together and not being able to engage in all that. I think it can interfere a little bit with just, like you said, getting practice with that stuff. So Exactly. I mean, because of it, I've actually developed a good amount of... I call people watching skills, not to sound creepy or anything, but (laughs) I've developed kind of skills where I'll actually watch people's body language and I kind of watch what tells. So I may not be interacting. Now, it didn't help with my skills development, but at least helped me understand um, watching people and watching body language. So that is something that actually has helped me out with gaming, too, because sitting across the table from somebody, whether it's in D&D or even when I do miniature gaming, like I, I'm a huge Warhammer, Warhammer 40K fan, mm-hmm. I am able to watch, like, body tells. And so it kind of helps me process, okay, what's going to be my next action or what am I going to say next kind of thing, too, based upon what their reactions are, what they're doing. So in a weird way, while I've not been active, I have been observant. Yeah, and again, just you know, echoing that thought from you, I, I think not having the physical capabilities that everyone else takes for granted, I think your other abilities can, can compensate or can grow a little bit stronger. And for me, I think that observation, that empathy, like now as an adult, I'm a psychologist, which back then I wouldn't have, wouldn't have put that together. But that's sort of where my life and career took me. And I think a lot of that is just watch, like watching people and being observant because I had to, I had to bring something else to the table besides just, you know, I can run fast or jump high or do these other things that other folks are just taking for granted. Uh, so it's interesting to hear you say that. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's helped out. It really has. So, yeah. So you, you had mentioned that there's, you know, other games that you're into, like like Warhammer. I think you touched on, mm-hmm. on Magic briefly. What's been sort of your favorite edition of either D&D or I think you play Pathfinder as well? With the tabletop role-playing games, what's, what's been the one that's really spoken to you the most? So what's spoken to me the most, is, that's kind of a tough call. Um, I mean, I do play d and I'm a big fan of 5th edition. I think it's going in the right direction. Um, I still play 3rd edition, uh, still to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a big fan of uh, Pathfinder. Uh, have you heard of the system Savage Wolves? Yes. Uh, I am a, I've been very big into that one as well. So I do get into uh, non-D20 RPG. I do mostly RPGs. 
uh, and card games just because RPGs, again, my own history with them, and card games mainly because they're a lot of fun and there's not a lot of, like, uh, setup. Though I do like a good board game. Mm-hmm. Um, I do play, I do love playing board games when I do get a chance, just not as much because I don't get as much of an opportunity as I do with card games and RPGs. I'm as a very heavy into the RPGs. I have several different ones I'm in looking into, Savage Worlds being one. Um, I'm big into superhero style RPGs as well. Uh, there's a really good one uh, that I recommend called Rotted Capes. It's kind of a weird mishmash of uh, superhero comics style RPG with a zombie apocalypse tone. Okay. And it's really cool because you're base you're essentially playing one of these surviving superheroes trying to protect people from zombie hordes. So it's got this wow. really neat dynamic. Yeah, it's really cool. Okay. Um, but as I mostly stay with D and D and Pathfinder because those are the two biggest ones. Um, as I stay mostly with Fifth Edition right now because that's the big one. So I was wondering with the different gaming systems that that you've enjoyed. Are there any that seem to be more welcoming or more accommodating to a broader range of individuals, um, like with disabilities, for example? Yes. Um, I would say D&D seems to be the most welcoming right now, uh, mainly because their Adventure League program is, I would say, by far the most friendly um, is the most inviting. They are the most welcoming when it comes to new players of any variety, not just uh, disabilities. Um, so I, I would I would push I would push definitely for fifth edition D and D and their adventure league program being the most. Somebody from that works for Wizards might be listening to this, or other other game companies, or even just other DMs who are running yeah. games at home or at, at conventions. What can they do to be more welcoming to individuals like yourself? Like, what are some of the things you've run into that have been really helpful and really, like, a kind of a turnoff? I would say be patient. Patience in the fact that it may take them a while to, like, get their dice together or get what they need to say out, especially if they have, like, a speech uh, pro- a speech developmental issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and just just be a more be more accommodating with that um if they have a wheelchair make sure you have enough space for the chair but other than that just be more patient i think the thing with people who are going to go in are going to be prepared knowing what they're going to get into mm-hmm. also don't be afraid to advertise like hey i got open spots at a table would you want to join um so th- i think those would be the most big help just being patient, and if you if they have an open spot and they see somebody with like a disability that looks interested, feel free to bring them in. Um, either and also have a character ready. Um, I would say have a character ready for them as well, so they can hop right in. You can talk and help them along. Yeah, what is it? I mean, like from your end, if you're going around a convention, and I mean, do you notice people give you like? looks in certain ways like what is this um, person doing here would, or has it been pretty has it been improving over I would time say early on i got a few looks um not necessarily like what are you doing here kind of looks or anything bad just kind of you didn't see somebody like me walking around and to be honest not to sound cruel or anything because but you don't really do you don't see a lot of people you don't see a lot of people with my disability walking around you see them a lot in wheelchairs uh, but I would say definitely over the few, over time, um, I've seen more people with physical disabilities in particular being more integrated into it. Uh, I've, I've volunteered with Origins, uh, the Gamma, the people put on Origins for the last, I would say five or six years. And I have noticed Excellent. that they have become a lot more open. I've noticed that the walkways in the in like the dealers hall and in gaming areas have become much wider to accommodate people in wheelchairs. Uh, they've run programs specifically for people with disabilities to get into whether it's an RPG or a board game, and they have actually invited very well-known gaming companies like Mayfair Games to sponsor these programs. So I would definitely say, at least in my area in Columbus. They have become a lot more open and welcoming, 
And that's not to say that they would turn them away early on. It's just you can tell that they are more, we want you to come in. We want you to play. So we're going to adjust. We're actually going to go out of a way to help adjust our, our space and our availability so you can come in and enjoy this community. Yeah, that that's great. And I even thinking about my one experience, I've only been to Gen Con once back in 2012. Yeah. And just trying to navigate myself as somebody who is, you know, fortunate to be able to walk around and navigate through people. It was a challenge to squeeze around and squeeze through people in the, the dealer hall. Yeah. And I just, it sounds, oh, yeah. it sounds like space, you mentioned patience, but space and just a, that kind of a comment, that kind of practical accommodation is, is really important. Yeah. And I feel for you on Gen Con. I went there last year. And you won't believe the number of times I almost got hit in the face with a book bag. Not because the person was rude. It's because I've noticed that when I'm in my wheelchair, people don't look down. Mm. They they don't. And I'm not small. I mean, in, I mean, in my chair, I'm I'm a five foot three person, so I'm kind of short. But in my chair, I'm a bit taller, and people just don't pay attention. I've noticed. Now, that's no slight on the Gen Con staff. The Gen Con staff have been more than welcoming. I had an issue with an elevator getting to my hotel room, and my chair was about to die. And the Gen Con staff came out and escorted me to my hotel to make sure that my, if my chair died, they'd be more than willing to help me push my chair back to my hotel. Mm-hmm. So the Gen Con staff are very, very helpful and very very nice at least with my experience with the staff so i do want to say that they were very very so they did help me out there That's great. but getting on the yeah beginning on the dealers hall if my dad wasn't there helping me out it would have been a nightmare i probably would have hit quite a few people on accident yeah. so and, and what about other either at a convention or, or, or maybe more a local game what how can other players I mean, maybe that patience issue, but how can other players be accommodating? Like, what what is helpful for well, you? The biggest thing is just be inviting. Just just if you see again, if they see somebody, invite them. I mean, that's the biggest thing that I would say that the community needs to do, and they've done it. Is just be willing to if they see somebody and ask them, "Hey, do you have time? You want to sit in on this and play?" a few rounds or play a game or, or, or something like that and have them sit down and show them what to do. Um, I think that would be the biggest thing Sh- uh, is just, is just that. And I know I'm kind of rambling and repeating here, no, but that, not at all. That, that, that is the biggest part is ask them. I mean, I know that's the hardest thing to do. And I know socially people in general kind of don't want to like stick their necks up, but just if they see somebody who is interested, whether they're disabled or not, and they're watching the game, ask them. They may say no. And if they do, okay. But if they say yes, pull up a chair. Uh, have them pull up a chair, hand them a character sheet, hand them some dice, hand them some cards, and kind of help them guide and guide them. Also, uh, be more open to, and it's kind of fits in with the patience, be more open to uh, also asking, hey, do you have any questions? Maybe the person can't play at that time, but maybe they look curious. Ask them, do you have any questions on what's going on? Or you want to know what I'm, or like, why am I, do, why am I rolling these dice? Or why am I putting this figure here? And just, just have them ask. Just look at them and say, if you have any questions, please ask or just, just simply ask, do you want to know what I'm doing? It sounds like you you hope that folks move from the assumption of that person can't or won't play to maybe that person is interested. Let me let me let me check out if they are. Exactly, and that and that does kind of fall on the people on gamers playing to be able to really go. Hey, do you want to know what's going on, or do you want to play? Because they because the thing is, the people watching won't ask. You actually kind of have to uh, extend out the olive branch or extend your hand out. And kind of say, hey, it's no, it's no problem. Don't worry. Ask, please. And was that was that how you were? Maybe like you know, nineteen, eighteen years ago, more more hesitant to just jump in. Actually, the weird thing is, I kind of jumped in head first. <laughs> okay. Um, with going well, the reason why is when I found when my dad found out about the college tour and how they were doing an event at OSU 
um, they had tables set up for de- for basically demos. So I just kind of waited for a table spot to open up, and I sat down and I jumped right in. Um, now, when the store opened up, I kind of was a little hesitant at first because, again, dealing with people for the first time, um, I was not really quick to jump in in that regard. It was one thing to have a table spot open and the event encourage people to come in and have walk-ins and walk-outs. Uh, it was another to simply go in and say, hey, can I join in? Uh, but once I got in more game opportunities opened up because as I got connected with people, they go, hey, I got a game over, starting over here. Do you want to come in? And I'll go, yes or no. Or And it kind of spiraled from there. Once I started meeting people and once people started getting to know me and once I started getting to know them, it it just kind of went from there. Excellent. And you were, you were talking about people being welcoming and inviting. Yeah. And I think one of the things that is – one of the things I key in on is just some of the art that's used in different different games. And you mentioned the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica before, which is something I definitely yeah. want to talk with you about. So this sort of segues into a, a couple of conversations I wanted to do. Uh, but the cover okay. the cover image for that uh, features a, a woman of color, and I think that alone, and it's I think a deliberate and a, a good choice to not have just another white male adventurer on the cover of a book or well, to, to feature somebody there. And what are your thoughts about that? Because I'm wondering... I think the thing is this. We need to understand that the roots of it was created by... I, I'm not trying to be politically correct here or anything. was created by white males, but they were created with the intention of being very open with who they were, who they were going to let in. Um, the, again, the creator of D&D, Gary Gygax, had his wife and daughter there since the beginning. Yeah. And I think the thing is, is while we're seeing more people of different ethnicities and of different genders appear more prominently in the artwork, I think it was something that was going to happen eventually, regardless of what the situation is in the real world. Mm-hmm. Because over time... When you're playing a game like D&D, you don't see I, – I will honestly say you do not see race or gender. I know God, I know people who are of the straight persuasion who will play female characters, and I know women who will play male characters. Mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't matter. It's who you want to play. And they are one thing in the game, and they're another thing in real life. It's just what it is. And I think the, the character on the cover – is very appropriate because it shows how the openness of D&D. It shows that they don't see the gender or ethnicity. I think for its time, D&D was, was set for a specific group because that's the group that created it. And over time, it opened up more and more. And I wonder what would it be like for you – on a, on a future cover of one of the big D&D campaign or setting books, yeah. if there was a hero or a character that was in a wheelchair, for example, like how would um, how would that make you feel, if any, differently about the, the game? It would depend on how they handled the character. See, sure. I am all for creating characters uh, for everybody. I think everybody deserves a representation in any form, no matter what, even in gaming, movies, anything. Um, if they did a character, a physically disabled character, and they made him out to be like a character, uh, so doing a class that would be appropriate, like a caster or the artificer, which is one of my favorite, which is one of my favorite classes, I think that would be wonderful to have a character like that. Mm-hmm. On the same token, as I said, I use D&D as an escape. I don't mind that there aren't disabled characters in D&D. I really don't. And maybe people feel differently. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that there shouldn't be, but I play D&D because I'm able to do things that I can't do in real life. Being able to pick up a sword or cast a spell, I don't need to worry about whether or not I'm actually going to be able to reach the ledge because my arm is too short. Mm-hmm. And I, that's my big thing with D&D. And that's my big thing is D&D was always a healthy escape. Yeah. It, was, it was escape from reality, being able to play a person 
of whatever race. I mean, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of playing like non-human races. Mm-hmm. I play a lot of like tieflings, half orcs, half giants, things I can't be in real life because that's what I want to do. And the really fun part is is when I'm in a situation where my friends don't see my disability, and I'm going to tell you a little story here. I was at my, I usually play, I play at my house, so a lot of times I don't get a chance to get out of the house very often. It's not because it's an embarrassment or anything. It's just it's easier for my friends to all meet me at my house. Mm-hmm. I'm at I'm at like a central point where they all live. And there was one point I'm in my house and we're playing a game and I mentioned to one of my friends, hey, can you turn the fan on? Because I have a fan with a pull chain at the time and I can't reach it. And he goes, why don't you do it? And I go, short, stubby arms. <laughs> and we have a laugh. I mean, sure. and it's no, it was no, there was nothing wrong and I hope I didn't offend by anyone saying this, yeah. but we all laughed our, we laughed our butts off because no one thought of me being disabled at all the right. entire time. In fact, there'll be times they forget I'm physically disabled. Sure. And so, with that being said, I would it, would, it, would seeing a character in a a disabled character would be it would be nice. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing that if he was handled right. But at the same token, I'm not upset mm-hmm. either. Sure. Because I don't I, when I play D and D or Savage Worlds or something, I don't I don't play a disabled character. I play who I want to play. I play somebody who I want to be. Mm-hmm. In a healthy way. I mean, you know what I mean, right? No, absolutely. I think you've mentioned that being the, the game being a healthy es- escape, and I think the like the classes of characters you talked about. It, it seems like when I think of a, a thiefling, or a, I think you said a half orc, or a, like a half giant, like or yeah. s- these characters that are really are nimble, or have good dexterity, or who are really big and strong. <laughs> and yeah. it seems like that is you can explore those characteristics in the game world that in the real world they're not a reality um so it it sounds like it's an outlet for for some of that for you exactly i I, when i play D &D, i'm usually the person who will play like a caster or the warrior or some kind of mishmash like in fifth ed um one of my favorite classes is warlock i absolutely love the warlock class I wish Watsy would give it more love. Um, one of my, fa- but one of my favorite archetypes is really works very well to my styles. Is um, in Xanthar's Guide to Everything, they did the Hexblade, which is a combination of casting spells and being a melee fighter. And I love that. I, that is one of my all-time favorite uh, class types to play. In fifth edition D and D, I love being able to go. I can swing a sword and I can throw a fireball at somebody. Nice. <laughs> I mean that that is that is like That's my everybody's coach. wish, isn't it? To be able to, it is. Yeah. And and like in Pathfinder, and not to sound like a broken record, uh, in Pathfinder they have the Magus, which is exa- which is a class that does the exact same thing. I love those types of classes. I love being able to play those hybrid types or being able to play a character that goes, I'm an inventor. I love making stuff, Um, mainly because I can't really put together stuff with my own two hands. So being able to play like a class like the Artificer where I could put together um, items or clockwork machines or uh, being able to create new creatures even. I love stuff like that because that just lets me run with my imagination. And I'm also the kind of person that I love putting stuff together and then using the toys I put together. Sure. So I'm very much a self-experimentalist when it comes to playing classes like that as well. Yeah, and I think everyone kind of considers D&D games like a a fantasy setting. And what you're talking about is it sort of, with your imagination, lets you live out these fantasies of – taking on a different persona or taking on a different set of abilities and characteristics. And it, it sounds like you have a lot of fun with it, which is great. Oh yes. And it, it, it allows me to skate. It allows me not to be Eric for a few hours and allows me to be, as I said, Feynor or my or, or Venter, the tiefling Hexblade or, or something like that. And it's, it's fun. I get to do it with other people. I get to, and I can do it with my friends. We all, I have a group of friends who I meet uh, – I have a couple of groups going on. One of them I meet once a month, and we game for about eight hours on a Sunday. Oh, wow. Nice. 
Yes, and we we do more than just gaming. We hang out. We'll go out and grab dinner, um, and we we get to be just a bunch of nerds. We get to talk about stuff that we normally don't get to talk about. And if the game's getting slow, we'll pause it for the night and break out magic mm-hmm. and play magic then. And again, just be a bunch of nerds and gamers and go, this is a Sunday for us. And so I'm glad you brought up magic again because I'm – Pretty new at, at Magic in that I've yeah. played it a few times. One of my good friends is very much into it, has has played it uh, for, I think, since the beginning and has a huge collection, and he's tried to get me into it a few times. So I'm not that familiar with it. And with the new setting that's coming out, uh, Ravnica, I know uh, Wizards of the Coast is now sort of doing the whole chocolate peanut butter thing with magic and Dungeons and Dragons where they're mixing them together. And yes. uh, in our early, you know, before we started recording, you were saying that you were really excited about this. So for folks like myself who might not understand what Ravnica is, what it means, I guess what, what is a good synopsis of that world and how, are, how do you think it's going to fit into Dungeons and Dragons? Okay, so Ravnica is, in best terms, take... Uh, this planet Coruscant from Star Wars, okay. and I'll turn it into a fantasy world. It is an entire plane of existence that has one big city. And in the city, you have different factions or guilds all vying for uh, positions of power or just trying to keep the city running. And it's really cool because this is a world we've gone to twice before in the card game. In fact, um, coinciding with the release of the setting, we're going to be going back to that world for the third time, which is really awesome. Okay. And what's nice about the setting is they're not going to limit you in saying, oh, you can't play this guild, you can't play that guild. You're going to be able to play somebody from any of the guilds. And so the way they're going to do that is there's going to be a new district they're going to create where all the adventuring in that setting is going to happen. And I think that's going to be phenomenal. And I really do think that this is probably the best time to release something like that because um, not only are they coinciding it with the release of one of the most popular Magic settings for the card game, mm-hmm. this is also Magic's 25th year. So this is the 25th anniversary okay. of Magic. So not only are we going to the most popular setting, but earlier this year, we also went back to the original setting that we haven't been to for almost a decade. And what's, so, what setting is that? So in Magic, you used to go to a world called Dominera, and it was your fa- typical uh, fantasy world. And that is where we were from like 1994 all the way to, like I want to say, 2004. And that was everything. They did a huge storyline, and they ended it, and then we went to World Mirrodin, and we have not been back to Dominera since since then. And so this year, we went back for one of the sets, okay. for one of the card sets, and it was really cool, because you saw a bunch of old characters. Now, for someone just starting out, they're just a bunch of new, they're just a bunch of characters. So they really don't hold any nostalgia, but for somebody who's been playing since the early days, um, it's like, I know who that is, or I know who what that place is. So it was like a real big nostalgia, and they seem to be really capitalizing with that, with Ravnica going back and saying, here you go, we're doing this, and not only are we releasing the return of Ravnica as a card set, but we're going back and we're doing it as, our, as an RPG setting because people for years, um, ever since in Magic when they did the set um, Eldritch Moon, which was when we went to a realm called Innistrad, mm-hmm. Watsi, which is the co-side, would release uh, unofficial PDFs where, oh, you want to play in this world? Okay, here's the rundown of how to do that. So people have been wanting an official D&D setting, and now they're doing that, and not only are they releasing as a setting, but they're also giving it the Tomb of Annihilation treatment. They're coming out with a dice set, map pack, all these things. They're really pushing for this. And that's got me really, really excited. Yeah, I can hear that. When What, what <laughs> do you... What, um, well, I guess, let me back up a second. Do you ever run uh, sessions as a dungeon master, or are you mainly so, a player? I am mainly a player. Okay. I've tried my hand at running D&D. I'm not the worst DM out there. 
Um, but I, I'm honestly the person who prefers to play with the toys as a player. I think, I, I just, I just think it's nicer to play as a player. One, no dig on DM. DMs have, are vital to the to it, and GMs in general are also vital to it. But there's a certain amount of freedom as a player that you don't have as a DM. DM has all the cool tools; they can play with stuff that a player can't play with. But at the same time, they're kind of beholden to, um, like if they like if they're saying a tone or a story. They're kind of beholden to that because one of the biggest things that people kind of forget sometimes is D&D and RPGs in general are set in sand. A DM can change rules whenever they like, but if they do it too much, then they lose players. Mm-hmm. And plus, and I, I'm gonna admit, I really don't want the responsibility of dealing with a group. <laughs> now, with that, being- it's a lot. Of, as someone who mainly DMs, it's a, it's a yeah. lot of work to at those relationships we talked about before. As a player, yeah. I think you don't have to worry about them quite as much as the DM. And I think to be a good DM, one of the things that it takes is uh, being observant, being thoughtful about you know which players are involved, which ones aren't. And I think as a player, you get to be. I don't know if selfish is the right word, but you can just sort of be there to. Yeah. to Play your character, be entertained, and exactly. Now, here's the thing: I, I would mention this though. Uh, with my once a group month on Sunday, we do a rotating DM. So actually, I do get to run okay. every few game sessions, but that's only like once a month, every four game, every four game sessions though. So and it's only like the three of us. We're actually adding in a new person here uh, the next time we get together, which will be. Um, September 19th. We're actually going to be getting back together, and we're adding in a new player. So, that means, and with the full understanding that he will have to to run a game session because we do the rotating game master. So, it's not that I'm opposed to running, it's just, um, I I don't think I could do it consistently week after week after week. I would need time to build up a storyline. And the thing with players and DMs is, it's it's a working relationship. DMs and players should never be like in opposition. It should always be a the, you the players need to trust the DM and the DM needs to trust the players. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is, is when you have the DMs who I'm gonna use the term violate that trust. That's when you run into some of the issues, some of the stereotypes that you hear. Well, you've been playing for 18 years now, and yeah. what are some of the you know, I, I know a lot of other DMs listen to, listen to the show and are hoping to hear tips and stuff at the time. But as as a player, what are some of the things that you've seen that have broken that trust at a table? Um, I have seen the biggest the biggest one I've seen is when a DM uses it as a fulfillment for them in the sense that they don't care what the players do or how strong the players get. Their NPCs or their specially designed character for the game is always going to be better. It's always, and if they come in with the mentality of, I don't care what's going to happen to you, I'm going to try and kill your characters, that is a big way of violating that trust. Now, it's not to say the DM needs to make the game a cakewalk. There should always be challenges. And if a character dies or the group wipes, then that's one thing. But a DM should never go in with the idea that I'm going to purposely go out of my way to kill off a character or kill off a group. That's one of the biggest ones. Uh, another big one is, and this is not true if you're playing on one-on-one games. I've actually been in games where it's just been me and a DM. Mm-hmm. But when a DM starts showing overt favoritism, and I mean above and beyond the character being used to further a plot line, if it goes to the fact that um, that player is getting more advancement opportunities or better equ- or more equipment above and beyond what the player is getting. If like the other players have to struggle to get what they got, but no, but one player is getting it, basically being handed stuff. That's another way of violating that trust is when you start playing favorites. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, as I said, it's one thing if like, oh, I have an idea for a story. But I'm not going to hand you everything. You still got to work for it. That's one thing. I mean, that that is something completely different because they still still treating the players as players and and actors in their roles. He's not treating them as just background. Mm-hmm. The other issue you have too is when the DM starts using the rules as stone. 
this doesn't really pertain to like Adventure League because they have their own sets of restrictions they have to follow. Well, I would say restrictions, but guidelines they have to follow. But in home games, the DMs who treat the game as it's set in stone sure. will often have more difficulties where a more flexible DM, now I'm not saying you should disregard what's in the books. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't treat it like if the rules don't exist because they are there to help support the game. But if a DM doesn't like how something goes or they think that, oh, um, let's say the guy in a, let's say a player got in a situation where the DM wants them to survive because by killing that player – then it cripples a storyline, the DM should be able to fudge the rules. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. If a player, if a group looks like they're about to walk into a, a big bad situation where they're about ready to just completely wipe the villain, the main villain of a story, and the DM knows it, the DM should feel free to fudge it. They should feel free to go, oh, the DM, the, because he has the screen. So I'm not. So this kind of is where trust should come in. The player should trust that the DM is rolling fairly. Mm-hmm. But if a DM feels like, oh, I want one good hit on the party tank, and then the party could just kill the bad guy, but he got that one shot in to to basically go, this guy's a threat. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, sure. And again, if the DM feels you should, let's say the big bad scored a critical hit. And he doesn't, and he's about to kill off a player, but the DM doesn't want to kill that character off for whatever reason. The DM goes, "Oh, the guy misses, or he hit, but it wasn't a critical hit." Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have to explain the reason why. The player should just trust the DM is doing what's right. Now, if the DM is the kind to let them roll the dice out in front of the players, then that's fine. But then the players need to understand that's both good and bad. Because sure. the, the DM rolls exceptionally high, then you got nothing to complain about when the DM kills your character and really didn't intend to. The dice were just rolling that good. There's there's potential, I think, benefits and consequences to going either way. Either exactly. Oh, yeah, there is. Yeah, rolling in front of people, and I think you detailed them pretty well in that I think the overarching thing that, that you mentioned that's important for any group is this idea of trust and yes. cooperation, really. I think if... If the relationship between the players and the DM or even a player and another player gets to be too combative or competitive uh, in a a bad way, then that – I think that can be problematic for for an entire game. Um, Because what people people need to understand is D&D is a game of storytelling. You are actors in a story and the DM is writing that story. So what the players do affects how the story is played played out – but the DM has a story, and the story is should be designed to compensate for player interaction. Because if players want to follow a tangent that completely deviates from the story, the DM it's up to the DM then to either follow that tangent, and the players need to realize though that that story is still going, or it's up to the DM to try and subtly put the players back into the game. But they shouldn't make it feel like the players are being railroaded either. So it's kind of like choosing your own adventure meets <laughs> yeah. meets acting, meets theater acting, and basically. It, and it sounds like, you know, someone who's very enthusiastic about this hobby, you'd rather stay on the player side of things for the most part, rather than trying to balance all yeah. that out of, okay, what are the players trying to do? Here's the story I want to tell. And it sounds like it's just, like, again, a healthy escape. Let me just be this character that I enjoy go on some adventures, have fun with my friends, and keep it maybe a little bit more simple. Exactly. And it also helps the fact that if I have a nicely crafted trap for the puzzle for them, let's say, and they deviate from it, I don't want to be the guy who goes, well, crap, there goes two days worth of work. Right, yeah. So, as I said, it's it's one of those, I, I just prefer playing being a player. Um, again, if, I'm, if I have to run a game, like, if I'm playing, like for example, I play a lot of non D and D systems. L five R being one of them. Um, I'm big into the Warhammer uh, RPG, both the fancy and the 40k. But it's kind of a niche system. So if I end up wanting to do something with it, nine times out of ten, I'm the one having to run it, which I'm okay with. But I prefer playing in games more than running. And so, as uh, I really appreciate all the time that that you've offered me here as someone who's an experienced gamer uh, playing a a wide wide variety of games over the last 18 plus years and and someone like you mentioned as an individual with uh, some physical disabilities what 
if anything, are you hoping to see in the next 18 years from tabletop role-playing games, um, Magic, and, and things like Warhammer? I'm hoping well, – that's a tough one because <laughs> right now they seem to be all going in the right direction. I would like to see them – I mean, as you brought up, I wouldn't mind seeing a disabled character. Um, they necessarily want the icon- – whether it's an iconic or not is something they would have to tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing more settings for D&D in particular. There's a couple of settings that I would like to see them do. Uh, one of them is Everon, which they've been talking really big about doing. Yeah, and they, uh, released, they released a guide for that recently. Yeah. Yes, and I, I got a gut feeling we're probably going to see a print book within – I would say either tail end of this year or definitely next year, we're probably going to see a print book for that. Um, I'm more banking on next year because of uh, Ravnica coming out. Another setting I would like to see them do, and this mostly feeds into one of my favorite classes that we haven't seen yet, is I'm a huge fan of psionics. I love the idea of uh, the mental magics, as they refer to it. And one of my favorite settings that really showcases it is a setting called Dark Sun. It's kind of like this weird um, post-apocalyptic fantasy world, mm-hmm. and, psy- and magic is kind of on the outs, but psionics is a very big, integral part of it, and I would like to see them do that. Um, magic-wise, I just would like to see them... I, I-, I like what they're doing with it so far, um, I wouldn't mind seeing more collaboration with D and D and Magic. I would really hope that um, this that Ravnica isn't going to be a one time thing. Whether we see it as a as a printed supplement every so many every couple of years, or just see them as little PDFs that get released when a new Magic set comes out, that'd be really nice. Um, for other setting other systems. Um, I would just like to see them maybe start making more of an impact on the market because the issue right now is there's a lot of competition out there, mm-hmm. and I would like to maybe see some of the non D twenty games guy and get some love. Okay, I would like to see Savage Worlds become more bigger. I would like to see L five R take off again. Being a huge fan of the old system, um, I've liked what I've been seeing with a new one. I wouldn't mind seeing the RPG take off. And same thing with the Warhammer RPG. I think there's enough of a carryover. I think it would do very well. Excellent. Yeah, Yeah, and I wonder, has the combination of Magic and D&D ever gone in the other direction where D&D shows up as a Magic the Gathering set? I don't think so. Um, I don't think officially it has. I wouldn't mind seeing that, actually. That would be really cool to see them do the, the reverse but I think it's going to be easier to try and bring stuff from Magic over to D&D than the other way around, because how would you translate, like, a player character? I mean, yeah, you have um, Planeswalkers, which are basically little mini characters, mm-hmm. but I don't know how you'd be able to do that. I mean, I don't know, would, I, would I like to see it? Yeah. But I think you'd be one of those, um, like, one-off specialty sets that they kind of do, kind of like how they did... Um, the Unstable or Battle Bond sets here recently, mm-hmm. which were basically one-off uh, sets that they did, that they released for a little while, and then they don't print them anymore. I think I could see them doing something like that, and that would be really cool. I think you would get a decent amount of carryover, mm-hmm. depending on how they did it. Well, I, I also wanted to, you know, once again, thank you for, for your time, and I imagine people listening might want to give you a shout-out or just, you know, so I certainly was inspired by the original video that I saw with you, and it's been yeah. great talking to you here. Oh, um, thank you. This is this is great. You how welcome. how could people contact you if they wanted to maybe just say hey or had a follow up question? Um, I would say Facebook is the best way of contacting me, um, whether through Facebook me- uh, Facebook Messenger, emailing is also not a bad way. Those are usually my two big forms of communication. Okay. Okay. Uh, I I am on Twitter if people are interested, um, but I'm more active on Facebook and I do actually I am active on Discord. Okay. So um, I am currently setting up a group right now, so I will. So if people want to try and reach me through that, that might be a little dicey. So mainly Facebook is really the best way. That's usually my big portal for social media. And, uh, you know, your full name is Eric Roth, and there, yeah. if you go on Facebook and type that in, there's a lot of Eric Roths that pop up. But if you put in Eric Roth, Ohio, 
Uh, Pickerington. Pickerington. Okay. Uh, it's yeah, Pickerington. P i c k e r i n g t o n. So if you type in that uh, with Eric Roth in Facebook, uh, he will pop up, and yes. uh, sounds like would be happy to accept a friend request. And, oh yeah. And on Twitter, I found you. I, I know I, you said you don't have much of a presence there, but it's Eric Roth eight six. Yes. And uh, for the folks who are listening who maybe don't follow me on Twitter, I'm at the id dm t h e i d d m. Eric, this has been fun. I, it'd be wonderful to chat with you again sometime if you'd be up for that. Oh yeah, definitely. Just let me know when and. Uh, Fantastic. It'd be great. Yeah. Well, you have a wonderful rest of the day. You too. Thanks.